Inflation is out of control. Gas prices are spiking. There's uncertainty in the Russia-Ukraine situation. J-Pow is about to start cranking down the money printer. And the S&P is already down around 10% in less than two months. Not quite bear market territory, but the bears are circling. Literally, Hank the Tank is trying to tank this market. Today on Dumb Money, the six things that experts say that millionaires do in a bear market, and what your favorite dumb money millionaires are actually doing. We are Dumb Money. Three friends who turn $30,000 into $30 million using nothing more than Twitter and a zero commission trading account. The suits that work on Wall Street, they call those people the smart money. That's not us. Our goal is to help level the playing field for everyday investors. We are Dumb Money. Hey there, Dave here along with Chris and Jordan. We are Dumb Money. Welcome to Dumb Money Live. And before we dive into the things that millionaires do with their investments in a bear market, I do have something that YouTubers, I think, are required by law to do, whether it's a bull market market or a bear market, and that is to ask you nicely to please tap on the like button. While you're there, tap the subscribe button, uh, drop us a comment. All of those things really do help us out with the YouTube algorithm. We appreciate each and every one of you. Chris, Jordan, happy Tuesday. It is a super Tuesday, 2-22-2022. Fun fact for you, there won't be more twos in the date for 200 years. There you go. Oh, right. this so, is the day with all the twos in it? I totally forgot. That's awesome. <laughs> yes. That is awesome. Oh, hey, but, but before we get there, I will tell uh -huh. you that you didn't tell them about my favorite button, and that's the one with the little bell on it where you, it tells you... It, it tells you... You just want to ring that bell, bell, don't you? Ring the bell. <laughs> All right, so we're doing something a little bit different today. We're going to do somewhat of a reaction video. Uh, there was an article that popped up in my news feed from usnews.com. It's actually not a news story. It's uh, from June of 2020, and it was right around the time the stock market pulled back. It, it pulled back around 10%. This is uh, what it looked like at the time, and we all know what happened uh, after that. The market just uh, kept going up and up and up and up and up until now. <laughs> and now we're uh, we're down about 10%. So this article, all of a sudden, completely relevant again. Yeah, Dave, this is a well-timed episode because I was actually just thinking, wow, this really feels healthy. Like this market pullback feels healthy. And I was just totally in the right state of mind. And then I heard from our Discord mods that you know, the mood in our community was anything but positive right now. And people were confused. And I, I often forget that a lot of the people investing today have done most of their investing in the last two years. So they, they really haven't been through one or more bear markets like we have. We've been through quite a few. I still have, you know, vivid memories uh, as a kid of the 1987 crash and like i've just been so in tune with every bear market since that i'm, I'm always mentally preparing for them and when they happen they're painful but you quickly get through that pain and and you start you have that muscle memory of understanding that it's necessary and it will happen and it's healthy and we actually actually need it and it's actually kind of a good thing when we have them because it allows you to, well, we'll talk about it during this episode. It presents opportunities. And without these bear markets, it would just be weird, insanity. Like, I mean, it, it, it would be the impossible. World... If the market just went up, why yeah. would anyone do anything but just be in the... I mean, that's kind of what we do anyways. We're just in the market at all times. But 
it's uh, yeah, it would be it wouldn't be normal or healthy for it only to go up because then there's no risk reward, right? You you've got to you've got to yeah. have a balance. So the article is titled "How Millionaires Invest During a Bear Market: Learning How the Rich Invest Their Money During Downturns Can Be a Helpful Guide." And I just thought this was a good like it, it was a good thing. And they have they the, they have these six points, and we're going to just kind of go through this point by point, and. Uh, and just react because I thought it would be interesting for a f- couple of uh, re- a, a trio of real millionaires to just kind of uh, react to this because <laughs> I'm guessing that the writers of articles like this are not millionaires themselves and they're just doing it based on research. So this this is like a, a unique take. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it's it, it, it's fun. Uh, it's an inter- it's actually an interesting article. It, let's start off the top, Dave. What's their yeah, first so it, point? It, well, they first just remind you what a bear market is, signified by a twenty percent or more dip in stock prices. These six things. Let's just start with the first one. Resist the urge to run. You may be tempted to begin selling stocks to minimize losses. That approach is counterintuitive to the millionaire mindset. Investors need to be able to hold on to their investments during an economic downturn or bear market. If you just hold on to hold on and you don't really have conviction behind the company, you don't have a reason to be in the investment, then I think that that's poor advice, right? Um, but if you know, you uh, still, if got still, if you still have conviction in, in the stocks and the companies yeah. that you own, Holding on makes sense. And being able, I think the point here is that you don't just want to sell it all and run, right? It's not, it's not sell in May and go away. It's, it's like you you need to. There might be some things that you want to sell, right? Um, And you might want to, you know, sell into some of these, uh, you know, if you really are in a bear market and you've got all these, you know, crazy relief rallies and dips and all this stuff, you know, maybe it's a, a good idea to sell into some of the rallies and then. Either buy the dips but, or cover in the dips, you know. And I think that the, the you, quote here at the end, investors can use their cash instead of tapping into the long-term investments during bear markets. Now, Jordan, we know you have cash on the sideline. Chris, we know you're usually fully invested, if not on margin. And right now, I have made a few a few changes, rebalancing my portfolio, but I'm still slightly in margin. Um, yeah, and you know, I've taken my margin off, and that gets back to the resist the urge to run. I think the concept of running means you didn't have a plan, right? So, like, I think what that the best take on that is resist the urge to just do to be emotional and to to move away from your plan. And by the way, we're not financial advisors, guys. We're just talking about how we deal with the situation. So this is not financial advice, but I, listen. I think it's really important for everyone to have a plan, to have risk buckets, to bucket their money properly. I've talked about this forever. Um, and if your money is bucketed properly, you shouldn't be doing anything sporadic. You should be mentally prepared for every scenario. And maybe you have a bucket that is titled like just, you know, it's momentum, right? If you have a momentum bucket and you're just doing crazy YOLO investments in there, um, but you already know that that really is only a good strategy in a bull market and it kind of falls apart in a bear market, then I think maybe for me, and I do some of that stuff, and I've made a decision over the past few months and we've talked about it, 
to not do that stuff right now because I think we're entering a bear market and that type of strategy just doesn't work. The AMC doesn't work. The GameStop doesn't work, right? Like this, the, all the all the YOLO type investments and in equities, uh, the Kathy Wood investments right now have not been working. So you just have to look at each bucket and, and you should react, but don't just go, you know, don't be irrational and let your emotions take over because you weren't mentally prepared. If you weren't prepared before, it's probably time now to figure out what your risk buckets look like, how much money you should have in cash, how much money you should have in equities, how much money you should put at different risk levels, right? If you haven't done that before, a bear market will certainly <laughs> ring your bell and make sure that you, that you do yes. that immediately. And that kind of um, ties that, that into this next point here. Point. So think big, act small. Uh, just a couple quotes here. Investing like a millionaire means staying focused on your objectives. Millionaire investors think forward for five or ten years from now. Uh, many millionaire investors rely on slow and steady uh, to portfolio building. Very few and far between are those with substantial assets that came from big wins in the market, which is a little bit different than our strategy because we do go after those big wins, but we also have to kind of weather the storm when, when we're not seeing just the market only going up. Yeah, Look, I don't I mean, really me, understand. Like, I, 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 so I kind of think here that uh, a little bit of this is pandering to try to, you know, get the average investor to not freak out and pull all of their money. I mean, you realize that the financial industry, they survive on their fees, right? And so, you know, part of this yeah. Yeah. is that uh, you gotta you got to get all these people to not freak out. So, you know, Goldman can keep getting their one percent or whatever it happens to be, right? And so, you know, I mean, there's there's part of that, uh, but then you also need to think about, you know, what are your goals, and you know, do you want to be, you know, fully allocated um, when we've got a lot of issues in front of us? The problem is timing, right? And so, yeah. You know, and I think market, that the three of us are a little more you know. active than the average investor. Yeah. We're, you know, our our risk tolerance is higher than the average investor. Our, mm -hmm. and I, you know, when, when you try to write an article lumping all millionaires in together, that's that's just an odd way to even really think about it. Um, but yeah. the the idea of thinking big and acting small, to me, that is always have your eye on the big picture and don't make rash decisions don't just like get emotional about it and if you are going to make you just make sure you're thinking through what you're doing and make little moves instead of just like oh i'm gonna flush my entire portfolio i'm going to i'm gonna meet yeah, Kevin I, would say, I would say i regret most big decisions that i've made over the past 25 years if i've made a big you know and everyone i've seen in my network that has made a big decision like to pull 50% of their money out of the market because the, the market's scary, right? Like those decisions generally never play well. Um, and I think the general consensus that we o always have stuck to is that there's generally over the long term, no better place for us at least to have had our money than equities, right? High growth all the time, forever, right? It's going to have its ups and downs, but yeah. generally we don't really pull away from that strategy and it's always worked throughout our lifetime and you know for the 50 years prior to that right and, and i i believe it is likely to work uh going forward so making these rash 
decisions to pull out 50% of your portfolio or all of your portfolio for a period of time can actually be really risky. Now, we're not saying not to do it. It's we, We're not prime advice, but we would never do something like but that. It because... essentially makes you have to, you, you have to time the market correctly twice if you do that. If you, you have to time yeah. pulling it out at the right time and yeah. also getting in at the right time. And I will say that um, when yeah. we had March of 2020 happening, um, I didn't panic sell. I, I used stock options uh, to uh, basically pause the stock market, but I did kind of panic sell in my 401k, which is in a triple leveraged, you know, just YOLO, crazy, triple leveraged S&P. And I did like, well, there's no way I'm going to use options to be able to stop this triple, triple leverage down. And so I did sell out and then I had to make that decision. Like, where's the bottom? And so I did actually, I would have actually turned out, I would have done better had I not sold at all and just kept my money, even in that triple leveraged instrument, had I not sold and tried to get out and get back in. Yeah. Also, Dave, that was not really, I don't really see that as a macro event. I actually see the March, 2020, February, 2020 trade, which actually was an insanely big trade uh, of ours and mine mm-hmm. as, as a social arb trade, right? Like that was, it just happened to be something that moved the entire market, but we were trading one piece of information. We yes. weren't trying to time the entire macro global market and currency crisis and recession and inflation and potential war, right? Like all the stuff that's happening right now. So that's something that's really difficult to time. There's a lot that goes into that. I I hate timing markets. I love trading one piece of information that is Mm -hmm. undiscovered or underappreciated, like like the the pandemic was right at the time, like that virus was back in February 2020. But I'm not going to think that I'm so smart that I could you know, time the the overall market multiple times over. You're right, which is what people yeah. do when they make these big decisions. Yeah. Well, look, Art. I think and I think there's you know reasonable ways to think about it too, right? Um, you know, I mean, generally, if you've been in the market for the past year, two years, whatever it happens to be, hopefully you've got some gains in most of your stocks. Um, and I think that this is a time that you know uh, you can either take some of them, maybe have a little bit of a cash sitting around, or um, you know, just watch it, watch, watch it closely and don't let yourself get 50% down in a position. If you, you know, yeah. I mean, there's just no reason to lose money. For me, it's almost, this is, this is the time to try to be in these highly, sp- you, you don't, you're not going to, like Chris said, you're not going to be an AMC right now. You're not going to be in GameStop because those right. are those highly speculative, like YOLO plays right now. I feel like is more the time for me to be in companies that I believe in for the long term, the companies that have all historically and continue to make up the majority of my portfolio, which is like the big, you know, Amazon is my top holding. Tesla is my crazy speculative play, second to biggest holding. So it's, it's I'm sticking with those names even through a downturn because I know that it's not going to be, the market's not going to fall forever. Yeah, and, and I have I have one really big uh, principle that I follow that, I, that I'll talk about later in this episode. But what do you think about this next one, guys? So this this know next one is own. something that I think applies and probably is good advice for a lot of investors, but it's not something that really applies to us, and that is automate your investments. Oh, so they say first, Sorry. Uh, you're taking advantage of the power of dollar cost averaging and compounding interest consistently, and second, it gives you uh, it lets you avoid the pitfalls of trying to time the market, which. I agree with not trying to time the market. For me, though, 
I don't have any regular income. I don't have a job. My job is, you know, making YouTube videos occasionally and uh, I, investing, right? And so for me, I don't really great, have though, a way because... to dollar cost average. But Dave, 99% of people are not in our situation exactly. and they actually right. have an income. So I think that this is what most people miss. This is the opportunity when you have a 20% plus pullback that lasts for some period of time, hopefully more than a few weeks or a couple months. Because if yeah. you're in your 20s or 30s or even 40s or 50s and you do have an income and you're still investing money, it's almost like more often than not, it's going to work out in your advantage, right? To be putting money back in the market at these lower levels during these times. And historically, the market has always come back. Now, that's obviously for someone putting their money in the right places, someone that's not making concentrated bets uh, that could be losers. But and, yeah. and listen, this is not what we do as social arb traders. But in general, I think it's something that goes underappreciated. Yeah, this I think that it, for the safe portion of my portfolio, I think that it totally makes sense for me to, and you know how much I love ETFs, it totally makes sense for me to take money and mm. just regularly, systematically put it into the VOO or one of the one of the S&P 500 ETFs. That That's something yeah, that, you know... So that, I mean, the S&P 500, if you look at it, it's lit. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it's dips in, along the way, but man, it just goes up, right? And so you have to, here's you have to deal the with problem, guys. That sometimes. You do. People people take a 20, 30% loss and they look at how much money they're putting in the market every week or every yeah. other week from their paycheck. And it's so tiny, whether it's a 401k, that they get super depressed about it. But what they yeah. don't see is that even if they only increase their portfolio size by a few percentage points over the next few months, the three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine months, yeah. that if and when, and it's always has been if I mean, always been when, not if, right? Always when so yeah, those far. That doesn't mean that there's, there's, you know, it has to keep yeah, happening. Yeah, I mean, I'm like just saying historically. Yeah, historically, that, that and we know that historically also does come back. They're in a better place, right? Yeah. They're in a better yeah. place because they've recaptured the gains. Plus, they've had some amount of fresh money in the market at a lower level, 20, 30% less. And you really start to feel it when the market comes back, it feels really good when you were able to put even a little bit in at those lower levels. And we've yeah. seen the studies that show that even if timing the market versus just dollar cost averaging, if you're doing something in a, in a big index like the S&P, if you were to perfectly time and only put your money in at the absolute low and sell at the perfect high, you are you're statistically not going to end up with, after like a 30-year time frame, you're not going to end up with that much bigger uh, portfolio size than you would if you were to just dollar cost average. Because if you time the market, you're missing out on all of the run-ups, right? And so it's it's just like a, and an interesting phenomenon. That's what I love about what we do as social arm traders, Dave, because we don't spend any energy trying to time the market. We spend all of our energy trying to find a hidden piece of information about, you know, a product or a trend or a movement or a brand or a store, right? Or like that's where our energy goes. It's not trying to figure out the market's going to tumble this week or go up this week because we know that we are not going to be great at doing that because virtually no one throughout history has ever been able to do that. So why try? Why waste your time? Why stress over it? Why focus your energy on something that you are almost guaranteed to not be good at.
when you know we've clearly shown that there's a strategy on a granular level that anybody can be pretty darn good at, great at actually, like better than Wall Street, right? Like, so focus your energy in the right places, and 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 I think that's what this is all about. Just it's. I love we we bucket our like we bucket our investments right. We have money that's there's in the market right. It's just in the market rather than being in cash. And then what's pretty much always in the market. Now sometimes I might be eighty percent levered on that, and sometimes I might be zero percent levered. Sometimes yeah. Jordan is ninety percent in the market, and sometimes he's seventy percent in the market. But it's not like he's going between ten percent and a hundred percent, right? And Dave, you're same thing. You're fluctuating so little, yeah. right? Between I'm, how I'm, much is in the market. I try to always be fully invested in the market because I know I can't time it. And then I use my uh, my equity in Amazon basically to leverage and buy other stuff on top of it, right? <laughs> Amazon is yeah, my cash totally. account. Okay, this totally. next point is uh, know what you own. They uh, say the concept of understanding what you bought and why you bought it is important. Uh, they are attributing that to, remember E.F. Hutton? Remember those commercials when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen? Well, that, it was his concept, apparently. I didn't realize that. Uh, but basically, the strategy of selling a stock when the reason you bought it is no longer true. So you're able to sell without oh. hesitation. That, Love that. I, I don't think there's anything in this whole article Wait, that comes closer to my way of thinking than I that. I thought that was just how it worked. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe maybe that's not something that everybody has thought about, though. And yeah. the fact yeah. that that just comes second nature to us, we don't probably talk about that enough on these uh, you know videos. That's kind of how we think all the time, and that's such a key important point. And I think we should just say it again. Able to sell without hesitation because the mindset keeps you from re-rationalizing on what might be uh, an investment that you're holding that uh, you're trying to get back to even. The strategy is selling a stock when the reason that you bought it is no longer true. Well, Having the, a the thesis, right? Having I've a thesis. Yeah. I think that's good. I think the other yeah. thing to think about along the same lines is that the market doesn't care what price you paid for your stock at. And so the market, like it's yeah, you're not the only like one there's who knows some magic, cares. there's the magical $70 is what you paid. And so you just got to get it back to 70 so you can break even. The market that is the worst. That. Yeah. That, yeah. You, you should also, never you think about see, what you own a stock for. You also often right. see the volume it, trading at these levels though. Everyone bought in at this level. And so we know that has this magical resistance point for people who follow charts, but maybe it does. I don't know. I, there's very, I mean, I don't trade like that. You, if you happen to fall in with the masses and you all bought this at the same time, like perhaps a uh, AMC or GameStop that you all heard about it from a Wall Street bro at the same time. The, what the best part about this point, though, is that we have to admit that we get lazy and fat and lazy during bull markets, right? We all do. I did, right? I yeah. had way too many. And you know, I've been trading for 30 years almost, and I've never had more than five or six stocks in my portfolio because that is all I could properly develop a thesis and trade around. And now I've had like 30, 40, 50 stocks over the past couple of years. I got fat and lazy with my portfolio. Um, I was in stocks that I was not able to keep up with the investment thesis. And these types of bear markets do force you to look at your, all of your positions, clean them out. We've had shows about this in the past couple months, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I've cleaned out my portfolio. I admit 
I, I, I just, you know, did not do the due diligence to continue to research the stocks I was in. Bad move on my part. I've lost a bunch of money because of it. But I did eventually make that move to clean up shop. And thank God I did because, man, could you imagine yeah. how much I'd be down right now? I did that, what, a couple months ago? And mm-hmm. I reduced my portfolio by like 70%, my, my long portfolio. But you and have that, to do it during That actually times. completely ties in with the uh, next point here. Limit your losses is actually about rebalancing your portfolio to help minimize your losses. They say uh, you should have been looking at your asset allocation as equity price prices rose and adjusting. The same mm. is true as they fall. Keeping losses small as a, is a proven uh, rule for winning uh, speculators. I That's basically that what rule, we're talking about. It's it's not about limiting I your don't. losses. It's about There's monitoring no your portfolio and rebalancing. There's I nothing wrong it. with it. if it's if the position's not working, just get out of it, reassess. There's no reason no, to sit there. No, no, no. I, I don't like this whole money. thing. Is the position working or not? Look, if you have a thesis and your thesis is based on information, if the information mm-hmm. hasn't changed, and then you, I will never allow the, the market to determine what I'm going to do because it's not work. That's always got me screwed in the past. I'm going to stick with my narrative, stick with my thesis and stick with that trait. Now that said, I'm not saying um, it's down 5%, the, Chris, but down 5% that happens, right? But if the thing starts to go, you're sitting 10% down and something like what, like, what are you doing? Jordan, if I have a stock doing? that I love because I think I have information on it that no one else in the world has, and that stock drops by 50%, I am gonna buy so much more of it, okay? Because no, like, I agree it, with that, but I'm not gonna it, I'm not gonna sit there with that ten percent loss. I'm gonna say, you know what? I'm gonna bounce out. I'm gonna watch it, and if it drops fifty percent, then I'm gonna go in harder. Can, well, can we get like a real world example here that that I actually rebalanced and sold that. because I wanted to limit my losses, and I also just no longer have confidence in the company. And it's one that we've talked about, and I think we I might have even bought during the show, and that's a firm, right? A firm yeah, came yeah. out with earnings that you see that red line there that they missed earnings and they just got demolished, but they've already been going in this downward spiral, right? And I think a firm, Dave, we had a thesis on a firm and it was like pretty low conviction. Yes. Um, but the thesis on a firm was a long term thesis that was one variable out of many, many, many variables that could impact a firm. Um, and that's why it was really low conviction for us. I agree. Like I, I was like in this market, I don't think our information on a firm is strong enough to yeah. make yeah. me want to like have a ton of money in a firm. I never really, it was never a big trade to begin with, but, but listen, to me, I I'm think not it, like, when the market is having like all good vibes only, you can have a slightly lower conviction in something and just all the rising tide rises all the boats, right? But when the market yeah. is just everything's negative and it's in this downward trajectory, if you have a lower conviction, that might make my low conviction become no conviction, where a low to medium might become a medium to high in a bull market. Yeah, listen, I'm not trading. I'm not trading my Aritzia unless I get information that I think the trend is coming off Aritzia. Their products for the spring aren't doing as well. That's what's going to make me sell Aritzia. I'm not selling Aritzia because it came down with the market. And I'll give you the perfect example of this. When the market came down recently and the EV stocks got complete, the EV supply chain stocks got completely torched, okay? Uh, mm-hmm. including, my, including my big one, like li- li- lithium America, right? 
Um, I bought more Lithium America. I didn't. I was like, this trade's not working because the price action's down. I was like, the price action's down. Why is it down? Oh, we talked about this in our episode. It's down because the market is generally down. People are taking profits, right? There were a number of reasons. I was like, but Lithium America is actually in a better position than it was two months ago. They're like, I'm going to pour more money in Lithium America. And then what happened? Eventually, the market realized that and the stock ran back up. But I didn't allow price action and price action alone to determine what how much of that stock I wanted to own or to scare me into selling it. Now, if the, the information changes, that's a whole different story. Yeah. You went mute, uh, Chris. We, we lost your audio. <laughs> now he's cussing. So my mic battery just died. Oh, that explains it. This is super important. Dave. I just I think it's really important as a social arbitrator not to be driven by price action, but to be driven by information. That that's all I'm getting at. Yeah, um, I just think we're in a market right so- now that like, you know, if I think people are just companies are just getting punished, you know, with the slightest bit of less than optimal news. And I'm just not gonna sit there and let it happen. Right. I'm not gonna let that happen to my portfolio. And so I'm gonna be a little bit more on the trigger to sell things that just, you know. That don't are, make sense. But the things that make sense, on maybe 100... it's time for you to go deeper on, right? That's like, well, I think what we, might we be, should, like, once might we get through the article. That the market is freaking out and is going to freak out for another few months. I don't know. I think we should, like, if I've made a couple of moves. I know Chris has made some moves. So we'll talk about that after we talk about this next point, which is keep bear markets in perspective. While bear markets may trigger fear, it's important to keep things in perspective. Bear markets don't last forever. Giving into fear can hinder your investment goals. Panic selling in a bear market or at the bottom of a bear market often leads to more harm to your investment portfolios over the long term. I think we kind of echoes a lot of what we've been saying. That's super... Let's talk about emotions. I think it's the most important thing, and I think it's where our community is hurting the worst right now. Um, listen, I've heard that our community is down and out, right? We're losing a lot of money. A lot of these people haven't lost money like this ever in their lifetime coming off of this massive bull market. I think it's really important for people to understand that you are going to lose money as an investor at times over 20, 30 years. There's literally no way to get around it. Have you ever known an investor ever, no matter who they were, that has like made money through every single cycle over 30 years, like every year, year in and year out has done other than, other than the medallion fund. I don't think, <laughs> I mean, literally, yeah. you know, everybody like, has a downturn, whether you're Warren Buffett so or mentally, pre- but you have to be mentally prepared that you're actually going to really lose money. Like not just a little bit, there's going to be times when it's going to be painful as hell. And this yeah. like, you know what's really painful for us right now is, is the great round trip stocks, right? And so these stocks, like DocuSign, one of our one of our favorite companies, um, that basically just round yeah. tripped their entire 2021, 20, 2022. I mean, it's just, they just wiped it away, right? And they've just taken yeah. this stock way back in time. And so I think that's very disheartening for people. It, it, it really is, and probably what it teaches us and I'm going to, this is what Leon had kind of asked us to discuss is, you know, he's like, when do you sell? When do you sell? Like, and we talk about this all the time that never changes. We, and it's not an all or nothing thing. I think the big issue that traders have is they feel they have to pick an exit point 
all at once, which is impossible to do, even as a social arbitrator, where we're like, we're buying at the point of information imbalance when you know something that other people don't appreciate, and we're going to sell at the point of information parity. Well, good luck trying to find the perfect point of information parity. DocuSign is the perfect example. I knew that over the past year, my appreciation of DocuSign was finally getting appreciated by the market. It didn't mean I sold all of my DocuSign, but I sold chunks of it over the past year. I just would occasionally sell some. Every time I need more liquidity, I'd be like, what am I going to sell? Well, I'm going to sell a little bit of DocuSign because the market is clearly starting to recognize the stuff I was talking about four years ago, three years ago in DocuSign, right? And obviously, it, it, it's shown in the price. Now, here we are today. I still have DocuSign. But I probably sold 75 to 80 percent of my DocuSign over the past 12 months. Um, it isn't an all or nothing thing. When people start to appreciate what you appreciate about Tesla, you can, you know, maybe that's a time to lighten up on Tesla, right? When people start to appreciate, it doesn't mean that the Tesla game is over, by the way. It doesn't mean that Tesla is not going to grow another 10x because they don't fully appreciate it. But they're starting to you can't make an argument that they didn't haven't started to at least appreciate Tesla over the past two years. Right. Because if you're an early Tesla guy, like like we know so many of them, like me, all these guys are huge Tesla traders. Right. They were in so early. There's no way that you can you can you can argue the fact that over the past two years, people have come to appreciate Tesla more than they did four years ago. Mm. Right. So, like, yes. as a social arm trader, that's a point to start taking some off the table. It's as easy as that. I mean, as hard as that sometimes, but yeah. Well, and Tesla is well, on my some people, sell some some list. I haven't, I haven't draw done a line it yet. in the sand and say, like, look, I'm not going to let this thing get to be more than maybe a fifth of my portfolio or something like that. I know you don't necessarily ascribe uh, to that, Chris, but you know, there good. is some. I think, no, I think I think it's fair from a risk a risk standpoint. Like to, I'm right. currently yeah. sitting at 27 percent of my portfolio is in Tesla. I know that's too much, right. and I put them in the column. So of I need to say, look at that. Maybe you say you know 20 percent is all I'm going to allow Tesla to be right. So you mm -hmm. sell you sell that little chunk, and then you know you've made money, right? And so there's nothing wrong with booking some gains and making some money. Yeah. Well, and guys, so we did. We believed in Aritzia a few months ago, right? We did our big Aritzia show, and they had a killer earnings, right? Killer earnings. Now, would you agree that the market is a little bit more in tune with Aritzia than they were before that earnings? Of course they were. So theoretically, we should be selling a little bit of our Aritzia, right? Because it doesn't yep. mean that the company's not going to continue to outperform. I still don't think the world truly appreciates Aritzia for what it is, so I'm not selling but it's selling some because the information parity is closer than it was. This is, this is how I manage my portfolio. I literally, I, I build a spreadsheet in numbers and then I just have this like, it's what am I going to do? Aritzia, I did not make a move. I, That's so uh, Windows I 1998 liked, of you. It is, isn't it? But it, this, is, this is how my brain thinks. Um, NVIDIA is, is a stock that I was, I felt like I just didn't have enough of. And this pullback to me was a opportunity to buy some. So I doubled my position in NVIDIA. Uh, Airbnb is one that I felt like I had gotten too much of in my portfolio. I still love it as a company, but when they had their earnings pop and they went up big, I was like, okay, do I really need to have a half million dollars worth of Airbnb? No, I, I pulled back and I sold half of my shares, but I still believe in them for the long run. I just needed to rebalance things a little bit. Crocs is another one that I still like, 
But I feel like Crocs isn't do there until they have another collab. I'm not thinking there's anything amazing happening with Crocs, so I sold some, but not all. Robin Hood, I sold some, but not all. Uh, and then there's there's stocks that I just feel like right now, either the information is out or I just don't see amazing things in the next year for them. The ones that I sold out completely, I got out of my Affirm. Um, I got out of WeWork, <laughs> just because I had those shares and I forgot that I even had them. And that was a $100,000 investment that I sold for $9,000. Um, then I also sold a Match.com. Dude, I got to get my WeWork shares in my account. I, I still haven't done that. You don't have them yet? They, they, sh- they should have showed up magically yeah. in your account if you filled out that uh, DocuSign that they sent us. Yeah. We all bought WeWork before it went public. And then there was this uh, longer term delay for... It wasn't It wasn't like a, uh, holding, a required holding period. It was just like the shares that we had were some like employee yeah. shares or something. And we couldn't even get them into our accounts. Um, but yeah, that Surprisingly was Surprisingly enough, nice not loss. the worst investment we've made. <laughs> no, we've had we've had we we uh, have invested in startups that went to zero. So to get ten thousand yeah. dollars back, that's actually uh, not bad. It did not it did not go to zero yet, <laughs> and it won't because I sold. So it can't go to zero for me. Yeah, for you, you you yeah, you locked in your loss. All right. Anything else that you guys right, want sir. to talk about your portfolios? Have you made me? Uh, yeah, I'm just saying. So just as far as like my psychology. And yeah, I mean, I feel like you make fun of me for, uh, you know, sitting 30% in cash right now, but that is how, that's like a hedge to me, right? And so that's how I can hedge being able to live life and have cash that's... for, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm watching the market and and I could make some moves whenever I feel like it's the right time to make them. Um, and also I can sleep at night. And so for me, that's the way to, to kind of get through the bear market blues. I think that that is I think, uh, very. That's that's a great way to handle it because you you yeah. that's your that is your sleep at night fund. That is just the cushion that you need to know that you have nothing to worry about. And a lot of people think of it as like their emergency fund, um, yeah. not not being fully invested with their emergency fund. Jordan, it's the right thing for you, and I think that's the important part of what we said earlier. You know, we're not financial advisors. Everyone has their own risk tolerance and should have their own risk buckets. And if needed, speak to a financial advisor. Like for you, that's the right bucket strategy to have 30% in a completely safe place so that you actually can take risk with the other 70%. And, you know, you take some really big risk with a small part of your portfolio in early stage companies that we don't talk about that often on this channel. Um, But Everyone, ha- the biggest thing that I think takeaway you need to have from a show like this is now is the time to think deeply about how much of your portfolio are you really willing willing to put at risk. And if a hundred percent of your portfolio is thought of the same way, that's probably not a good thing because are you really look? If you're YOLO with all of your portfolio, I know people that do that, right? I know a lot of people that do that. Are you really mentally prepared to take a sixty to seventy percent haircut? Because that is absolutely possible right are you willing to lose 60 to 70 percent of your total portfolio or should you be bucketing your portfolio into right like jordan 30 percent's cash that's not going anywhere it might dwindle down over time and it's real value because of inflation but well i'm uh, looking i'm I'm hoping that that's not like a long-term position right and so that's that's a short-term hedge against what's going on in the market right now 
Yeah. So like, like I said, people yeah. need to really think hard about how much money they want to put at in, in risk assets, right? And, and what type of risk assets. And for me, a large part of my portfolio are in risk assets, but I'm willing to live with a 60% haircut. That is a decision that I have made. Um, and so I can sleep at night during these times. Uh, I, it's not something I recommend for other people, right? Because I don't think that's right for everybody, but it's right for me. Um, so yeah, Dave, I, 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 so I, I do try to, if, I think if your money is bucketed properly, it allows you to make decisions for the right reasons, getting back to the fact that I only want to trade on information. So I was able to buy more uh, Lithium America uh, at these lower levels when it dipped down to like 22 bucks, right? It was dipped down all the way below 20, I think, because I was selling other positions and getting more into Lithium America because that's where the information was that I liked. So that's just, you can do that if you're not, you know, scattered and like trying to make decisions in the moment you just need to be mentally prepared have your money bucketed correctly and that way you're not freaking out when your risk bucket gets hit 20 percent. you're prepared for it and you're willing to actually take money maybe from your cash bu bucket and put more of it in your risk bucket because one of your stocks actually looks better not worse and it's down just because the market took it down. You and can as only your make overall buckets like get bigger you might allocate more to risk because you know yes. that you're you're life's like you're gonna at some point you're gonna hit this point where i know i can afford to live for the rest of my life with this safer bucket now i can be more risky in the other bucket boom there you go and that's why wealthier people just get wealthier because they're the only ones that can actually afford to take risk in all markets uh where less wealthy people don't have the security blanket to be able to take risk in down markets and they generally react emotionally and then don't see as much upside when the market eventually swings back and it's really a huge disadvantage to people that don't have a lot of wealth and so i think that's why this article is kind of interesting uh okay how do you know not that all millionaires invest the same but i think how do people that have more wealth that don't aren't as emotional uh in these cycles how do they invest well in general wealthier people often have their money bucketed because they are thinking about they have a, an advisor helping them think through those decisions so they don't have to be reactionary and emotional about these periods and then they ultimately make more money when the market swings back because they're making small decisions they're not doing anything crazy right they're they're thinking long term all the things this article talks about for the most part the article is right for the most part, I would say. I think for the most part, this was a good video. And I think that we should probably try to do these kind of, I think what it did was it let us have a conversation about things that we may not always think about because it just comes second nature. And I think that we could react to these type of articles and hopefully help educate people better. So if you guys watching at home liked this, make sure you have smashed the like button. And then also, if you have seen an article or a video or something that you would like our take on, drop it in the comments of this video, because I think that we could we maybe do these once a week. Yeah, and I, I wanna say that uh, we're all experiencing pain. Even if we're in a place where we don't have to be as reactionary, I have experienced a lot of financial pain over the past few months. It's been a little depressing at times. Uh, we are in the same boat with all of you guys. Now, I know some of you are hurting more than others, 
believe me, I have been there. Dave, as Dave is my witness, I have gone broke multiple yes. times in my life when I was younger as an investor uh, because I did not have my money in those buckets correctly. I learned my lessons. I, I, I got smarter. Right. And that's why you saw me reduce my leverage from like 90, 100 percent leverage down to zero over the past few months because I've learned my lessons over time. But I can tell you we've all been there. We have lost money through the 2008 cycle to the 2011 cycle. Right. We've been there. I think with 2018, um, obviously, at parts uh, early parts of the pandemic, like we've been there. We feel your pain, guys. You're not alone. The whole community is probably losing right now. I don't know of anyone that's not losing and losing pretty bad the past yeah. five we, we months. We talked about right? this, I mean, Chris. I, I could have bought the house next door to me just to let my dog live there, and I would be better off financially than what has happened to me in the market since January 1st. Believe me, Dave, I'm thinking about it constantly. Like, you know, ugh, I'm think, trust me, I'm thinking about it all the time. Like, oh, if I would have just pulled my money out nine months ago gosh how sweet would it be right now but listen it is what it is i think there are opportunities i want to do a show maybe this week about um just thinking clearly through this period and like where are there big opportunities i want to do a kathy can we do a kathy wood show that is probably super i am so intrigued by this concept of potentially levering in to aggressive tech growth right now that has gotten hit not saying that i'm doing it or that anyone should do it or that but i think it's a debate that should be had and we, and we saw have kathy wood on cnbc not only us are thinking about there are a lot of people thinking about this right now well and that's so why let's we should talk, talk about, about it. it this week so subscribe yeah. if you haven't already we're going to give you our thoughts on kathy wood sometime hopefully this week and uh, we have all sorts of great shows coming up so if you haven't subscribed do that thumb do that on the way out bell all the things we are dumb money we will see you very soon <laughs>